There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbach, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, I was joined by Michael Washington Brown, an actor, writer, producer, storyteller, playwright, and producer of Black, his one-man show. We had a great conversation that started with the pursuit of his passion for acting that brought him to the United States, first in California, then to New York City. But that passion was put on hold for a traditional career for many years until recently when it was rekindled, and that's when Michael wrote and began performing Black. As the name indicates, the show is about the black experience seen through the eyes of four different people. While Michael did not originally intend to be a focal point in America's conversation about race, he's excited to bring his message of unity to that conversation. You can find out more about Michael and Black at michaelwashingtonbrown.com, as well as some social media, which are listed in the show notes, and I definitely encourage you to check it out. Thanks as always for listening. Please share us on social media with somebody that you think would enjoy the show. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher. Helping us move from awareness to action today is Michael Washington Brown, actor, writer, producer, storyteller, and playwright. Welcome, Michael. (laughs) Thank you, George. I appreciate being here. Excited to be talking to you today about your one-man show, which is called Black, and you will be Hitting the road in 2018. That's right. Yep. Again. Yep. And uh, and hopefully you'll be able to check out Michael in a lot of different markets all across the country. So. Yep. That's the goal. And Michael and I sat down here today and uh, we were talking about Christmas. And it's like, what what do we say these days? And he said, <laughs> back in England, you know, because Michael grew up in England. I did, yeah. He said, Merry Christmas. But here it seems like it's happy holidays. So Yeah, you have to walk that tight line of being PC and not offending anybody. The last thing I'd want to do is offend somebody on a holiday, right? Right. So I typically, my, my go-to is uh, happy holiday. <laughs> and then whoever it is I'm, I'm speaking to, typically they'll either, re- you know, respond back with the same, you know, salutation. Uh, or they will uh, go, Merry Christmas. Like, oh, well, Merry Christmas. You know, so I, I let them take the lead, so to speak. Right. Yeah. But. Well, at the end of the day, it, it is the Christmas season and it's the Hanukkah season yes. and it's the season of many different things. Yes, it is. So it's probably not the end of the world to <laughs> wish somebody a happy Hanukkah, even if they're not Jewish, or a Merry Christmas, even if they're not Christian. Right. Absolutely. And if it is, well, then everybody needs to chill out. Chill out, right? Just drink some eggnog. Right. Some holiday cheer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Michael, give us a little bit of background on you. Um, how how it is that 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 you came to be where you are today? Wow. Okay. So um, I won't go too far back because I don't know how long time we have. But essentially, I, uh, I I came here with my parents. Here being the U.S. to visit was in um, first place was Washington D.C. Actually, Maryland. We had some family friends that lived there, and I remember as a kid just falling in love. I didn't, it seemed impossible to me that people could be living simultaneously in the world as me, but having that kind of a life. I mean, I think the one thing America has always represented for me from an age where I didn't even, I couldn't even put it into words was this sense of freedom. You know, people work hard, but on the backside of that, there's this sense of freedom. Um, and, and to a greater degree, we have that in England as well, but you know, the grass is always greener, right? And then, my goodness, my mom and I came to Los Angeles, 
Um, and that just blew my mind. And I, I and the reason I'm referring is George is because on the on the, the plane ride home, which was the most difficult plane ride I've ever taken because I was so miserable to go back. Um, I just knew that I would one day be back here in the U.S. And and beyond the point where I was, I had this vision of this being my home, and and that's really powerful for, at a ten year old, you know, perspective. Um, but that dream never left me. And as I continued through my school, etc., I got to a point where I finished college and I was at the time thinking about going into law. I really loved the idea of representing those that didn't have a voice of their own. And before I did, took that leap, something inside me said, don't do it now, because I didn't think I had the gas to fulfill it. I, found, I, I felt as though I would become too impatient and drop out, and I didn't want to do that. So I had a very difficult talk with my mom, and it took a few days for me to convince her that I was very serious about taking at least a year off. And my, my goal was to work a year, um, make some money, and then take a trip. And I was going to do six months in Europe and six months in the U.S. And as that year progressed, I ended up sort of ditching the, the, the Europe aspect of it. I ran into a friend of mine who um, also was from England. He was back visiting and said he'd moved to California. Long story short, he gave me an invitation. And I didn't know if it was a lip service invitation or if it was legitimate. Come on up. I stayed on him. <laughs> every, I'm on my way, bro. Every month. And uh, sure enough, he it was real. He extended an invitation. What was ironic was he was at best an acquaintance. He wasn't necessarily a dear friend. And I think I I was having a hard time understanding why would he extend that to me? You know, why would he open his home to me? Because to be honest with you, at that point in my younger years, I don't think I would have done the same. I was too selfish. I didn't understand that. But what I've come to appreciate now is that's really the American way. This is a very um, open arms country, despite what's going on now. Um, you know, people are very willing to share the resources. And, and, and that's something that now is second nature to me. Um, <laughs> but um, I, came, I eventually came out in 1992. I was working for an art gallery. I was in that field. And actually, I thought that was the path I was going to go down. At that point, I realized law wasn't for me. And um, I was, the, the gallery was located in San Francisco. It was adjacent to the ACT, the American Conservatory Theater. And I remember seeing these big shows coming in. At the time, it was Cats. And I remember working in a gallery and seeing all the people lining up in there. You know, people got dressed up. You know, they went, got dressed up for the opera and this, that, the other, and uh, Phantom of the Opera followed it. But I was just mesmerized by that. Um, and prior to that, I'd done some school productions in my, you know, primary school, but nothing significant. And um, it was the students that were above us in the gallery. I could hear them rehearsing and this, that, the other, and they would come down on smoke breaks. And I got to know some of them. You know, there are smoke breaks. I would go chat with them. Yep. And I thought, gosh, they are really living their dream. Like, again, it's one of those parallel things where how is it I'm in this building and, and you know, carving out, forging my career, and they're upstairs having the greatest time. How is it possible that that could be a career, you know? And so it just kept revisiting me. And one of my friends at the gallery said, look, why don't you take an acting class? And I said, I can't do that, so why not? So I did. And I did my research and I ended up studying with a gentleman named Ed Hooks. He had a scene study workshop in San Francisco, right off of Venice. And a couple times a week, I would go to class. And the first time I went, George, I sat in the back 
and it was as though it would be like if you walked into a French class and everybody's speaking French and you understood everything that everybody was saying but you didn't know why because you'd never been taught to speak French right I don't know if that analogy makes sense, mm-hmm. but that's what I felt. All his premises, all the things that I saw going on in the scenes, it seems very, very instinctual to me. Nice. And so that was a red hot moment. I just knew this is what I'm supposed to do. So I continued doing the classes and found myself veering away from um, the gallery. I mean, I'm still working gallery, but I, I came to a crossroads. They had offered me an opportunity um, to manage and take over the gallery grew me to possibly open a second location and as amazing as that opportunity was I had to come to face to face with it and say that's not the direction I was going in and it sounded even crazier to me that I was going to now work in a restaurant and you know just focus on acting uh, but that's what it did I made that transition um, and so within a year of that I went from working community theater in Marin and all the outskirts and then started working in San Francisco. And then very shortly after that, um, you know, people were starting to recognize my work and I was getting calls. I was getting calls from casting directors to come in and audition for upcoming shows, etc. And it may be a bit, bit, bit thing here, but to me it was, you couldn't tell me that. It was as, it was as significant as Steven Spielberg giving me a call. I, I cared right. less. I would, <laughs> I would hustle and do everything. And I think that, in, that enthusiasm probably bled over. And so, greater roles started coming and so the timeline here is you're, you're working at a gallery and you're like oh, I'm gonna check out this acting right, thing right and now you're getting calls yes yeah, so, so sorry so, so I actually left the gallery in 94 and then from 94 to 96 97 is when I was full-time got it you know I was working in the, in the restaurant but I was uh, my focus was on acting um, and then you know that that, then I got to a point very quickly where I realized, wow, I sort of feel like I've hit a ceiling in San Francisco because even though it's a big city, the theater scene was only so big and theater was my love. And so, of course, it was like New York. I got to go to New York. So I'd come this far, right? Came from England to yep. America. Where am I going to stop? Right. So I just dived into New York, never had even been there, just figured it out, got an internship at the Ensemble Studio Theater in New York. Good for you. Which is an off-Broadway theater company. And um, I remember going to New York and realizing, oh my goodness, this is nothing like I expected to feel like. I was looking at the, the TV and the, the movies, and it was just a lot. It was definitely a, a shift because San Francisco is a very, uh, it's a city, but it's, a, it's an easier city to live in. And New York is, you know, it's just, you, you, you gotta be ready, right? You know? <laughs> and I can't say I was really ready at the time. Yeah. Um, but I stayed and, and I was there for um, a actually about a year or so and then I actually went back to the, the Bay Area because I had actually met somebody right before I left and we were we were still communicating etc and I was in conflict I was thinking well maybe this is the direction I'm supposed to go in etc so I moved back to the Bay Area and I'm glad I did but that that sense of being at my capacity as far as opportunities didn't change you know and so one thing led to another and I found myself getting back into restaurants and and um, allowing that relationship and, and the prospect of getting married and other things sort of take me off my path. And, and before you know it, I, I became a, a domesticated version of my, my former self. Got it. Okay. So, um, and I did that for some time. Now, 
that being said, I, I fulfilled my other goal, which was to open a restaurant. I did that here in Phoenix. I moved to Phoenix and my wife and I moved to Phoenix and I opened that business and, and you know, did that. And that was a tough, tough grind, but glad I did it. I actually ended up two restaurants um, and, and other things in my life didn't, weren't success, so successful. I had a beautiful child, which was amazing. Um, but the marriage didn't survive it, unfortunately. Um, but it was a period now I look back on and realize it was um, it was a period of foundation. I had to do these things because I think in retrospect, as I look back, what I was trying to do is find my way back to where I am today. But I don't for a second um, regret anything that I did because one thing I realized that even though I may not have been on stage and I wasn't performing, but I was actually being involved in my life. And there's something powerful about experiencing loss, gain, success, no success, um, being broke, you know, um, all those things that you experience sometimes, it makes or breaks you. And in this case, I look at this as being the reservoir of what I pull from today that justifies the experiences I now am choosing to share with the world. Got it. Well, that's how we get stronger, right? Absolutely. Stress things, yeah. and either that thing totally breaks and snaps. That's right. Or it gets stronger. That's right. And it bounces back. Yeah, yeah. But in the moment, of course, as I'm sure you know, you've been through your stuff. When you're in it, it's hard to reconcile. This is going to pay off one day, you know. Now I think I have a better, a better. I'm in a better place to maybe say that mm-hmm. things that are happening that I may not necessarily have the answers to. I can say, you know what, this is going to work out. But then. It didn't feel that way. It was painful, and, and it was, uh, and of course, having a child, and I wanted to provide for that child, and wanted to give her the opportunities that I may not have had, and at the same time, trying to find my way in the world. It's, uh, it was, it was definitely a challenging period for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What brought you to Cal- from Fal- What brought you from California to Phoenix? Um, my wife, wife, well, we actually were engaged at the time, but she, her families were snowbirds. They lived here. And so she actually brought me here as a, as a surprise trip. I'd never been to Arizona, um, never even considered it. But when I came, I was just incredibly just impressed with, and this was back in 1998. So I was really impressed with how clean it was mm. and beautiful. I right. mean, Arizona is a beautiful state. Yeah, for sure. Um, and um, her her family took us around just to drive us and show us around. And I just remember, um, you know, it certainly wasn't as built up as it is today. But even when they we went to some open houses, I couldn't believe what you could afford, you know. Right. <laughs> San Francisco yeah, oh to New York goodness. to back to California. Yeah, and then no. Phoenix and in 98. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. So, um, you know, my <laughs> we looked at each other thought, wow, this could, if we lived, can you imagine what our life would be like if we lived here? And so that sort of... You know, it, it took a second trip, and I was like, you know, I think we should come here, and your family's here, and you know, we'll have some support, and and you know, I feel like this place is growing. This is a good place to be, um, and it wasn't until you know you hit the summers, you're like, I don't know if I made the right decision here. Right, wow, this is less cool than it was before. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but no, again, it's one of those situations where, looking back, it, I couldn't have I couldn't have been in a better place to provide the foundation for my growth and my experiences, you know, again, to, to bring me where I am today. Mm-hmm. So. so you started a family, opened, opened restaurants, yeah. got all that, all that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple years ago, yep. you got 
the fire was reignited. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, at, so after I got out the restaurant business, um, I actually transitioned into real estate because what I was looking for was more freedom. Um, I didn't, you know, at, at, at the greatest point in the restaurant, my, my business partner and I, we had about 40 employees. And I just remember feeling like uh, a, gl- a glorified babysitting, you know, the business I love. I love interacting with people. I love the business, actually just being in, in the restaurant and help. That to me is the best part. But that's only one aspect of it. And there's there's growing your business and working in the business. They're two different things. And so I needed something that gave me a bit more space and time. And one thing led to another. I got connected with a very successful real estate um, broker here. He had a very small boutique agency, and I remember feeling that that was the right move for me at the time. It met all the criteria I was looking for. And so got licensed, got into that business, and um, eventually transitioned out of working in restaurants. I still had to kind of keep my income, and I was just full-time real estate. And again, you know, thought, oh, this, I, could, I could do this. I could build a team and this, that, the other. And uh, had a, a lot of great success with that. But... To your point, two years, well, actually a bit more than that, but several years ago, I i call it a stirring. I just felt like something still wasn't missing. Something was still missing, excuse me. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And and it was as obvious as, as daylight, but I just couldn't see it. And essentially, I was online looking at the New York Times, and uh, I saw uh, a section, the art section, and they were covering the Tonys. And at the time... Um, it was right around the Tony season. And so I looked at this picture and literally my heart just froze because right there staring in front of me was a dear friend of mine who um, he and I performed together in San Francisco. Mm. Whereas I had, my road had gone left, his went right. Um, and I just mean directional. He stayed, on the, same he stayed path. on the same path. And the picture of him was at the Tonys be, being his show that he was in had been nominated for a Tony. And the expression on his face, for me, it was very personal. It was as though he was saying, you should be here. And that picture and that specific moment pushed me over. I then said, why am I not doing this? What's stopping me from doing this? And of course, you get those voices. You know, you get those voices of doubt, etc. Every reason why you shouldn't do it. And, but the greatest reason was, well, why shouldn't I be doing this? God forbid if I die tomorrow, would I be content not having taken that next step again? Right. And the answer was no. So I, in that moment, I Googled. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. I was Googling acting coaches in Phoenix. And I didn't necessarily need a coach um, to, to go through the basics. I wanted somebody to help me with the material so I could get ready because I knew at that point I was going to audition. And so I found an incredible coach. And for six months, I ended up working with her. And then I went um, back out to New York. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, it was a sabbatical. I took a year off and went, went to New York. And um, When was this? This was in uh, 2010. Okay. 2000, 2010 or 2011, excuse me. No, I'm sorry. 2000, 2010 is when this took place. I ended up going to New York in 2012. And... Um, it was amazing because I went out and of course, you know, you're right back at the bottom of the pile. I'm going out auditioning, etc. And then within no time, I'm, I'm getting cast in shows, one show here. And one time I had three or four shows. I was back to back, you know, 
and the response from people was the same as it had been all those years ago. So I'm like, okay, I haven't lost anything here. If anything, I've gained. And um, But it was a show that I saw at a Cherry Lane Theater, uh, which is in New York, and it was a one-man show. And he did a show about his life, his family. He was Puerto Rican, or is Puerto Rican. And he just shared his family, and he played the characters of his family members. And I sat there with my jaw on the ground because that's the first time I'd seen somebody convey their life in through one perspective, well, a multitude of perspectives, but the same person sharing their life. I'd never, I'd never seen that before. And again, it was that one of those, those epiphany moments where I was like, that's what I want to do. That's exactly what I want to do, and I, and I can do that. And so I uh, started writing my autobiography, which was an incredible experience. I had to revisit some very painful places and stuff. Um, and that took, you know, over a year or so to complete. And then once it was finished, it, it naturally seemed like, okay, what well, I need to transpose this into a one-person show. And so I created a show um, on my life. When that was finished, I started marketing it to theater companies. And in the, and in the midst of that process, I was watching something on uh, 60 Minutes, and there was a piece on this guy in Africa talking about, you know, the, the entrepreneurial spirit, et cetera, et cetera. And there was something about this guy that just struck me as this is somebody I know. And I was pointing out to my girlfriend, you know, the similarities between African culture and West Indian culture, because my family's from the Caribbean, Barbados and Jamaica, and how that even translates to black English culture. And then all of a sudden, this idea struck me, you know, this synopsis. I just opened my laptop and wrote a synopsis about four individuals that talk about their experiences being black. And so one would be African, one's American, one's English, and the other's Jamaican. And really, it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek approach to recognizing the similarities that we share, but also the differences. There's a lot of things that we share intrinsically, intrinsically as black people. However, there's also some differences based on where we grew up. So in a sense, it was really sort of a way just to highlight the differences in a very comical fashion. But what ended up happening was that this became a very, very powerful experience for me because these individual characters would literally visit me at night and just kind of tap me on the shoulder and just tell me what they wanted to say. Get your pen out, bro. And I just I just listened, <laughs> and I just wrote and listened. And I remember periods of time where I'd look back and think, what the hell, who, you know, who wrote that? Who is this person? I didn't, that's not me, right? And so four characters afterwards, I had the first draft, I read it to my girlfriend, she was blown away. Um, and I said, do you think I got something? It's like, you more than have something. So I just said, okay, I'm going to submit the show to French festivals because the French festivals is a great opportunity for a, 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 an independent producer to go into a festival where other selected artists get to show their work. Now, granted, there's a, very, a variety of degrees of success of the shows and, and their stages of development. Um, but I submitted them to, I think, four or five cities, and every single one took it. Nice. And I think it was probably because of the subject and what it represented. Nothing, there was nothing like it. And I remember uh, <laughs> realizing, oh crap! I need to get my, I need to actually start, you know, working on the show. Meaning, I need mm. to memorize the lines and get everything together. Right now that I'm going to be doing the show, <laughs> I'm actually better. I suppose be ready. I better. Yeah, get ready to do the show. And so um, I did, and it, it launched off in Asheville um, at the beginning of uh, two, this year, t- 2017. And then I ended up going from Asheville to um, uh, New York City, Seattle, um, 
uh, where else, where else? Oh, San Francisco. Um, I did it here in Phoenix, and um, now I'm getting ready to continue in 2018. That's exciting. Yeah. So out of the desire to do an autobiography sprung this one-man show, yeah. and these four characters yeah. that, that, that make it up. That's cool. I don't, I've, I started writing again a couple of years ago, and so I appreciate Number one, the value of being introspective yes. and the thinking back. But I also appreciate the enormity of the work yes. that it takes to do that yeah. and then actually produce a show and then yeah. to go perform it. So that's really exciting. Thank you. And I think part of it is I wasn't so – I don't think I – in the moment, when I started writing, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to write this one-person show and, oh, I'm going to travel the, the country. and show. That, that was a further – my only step was I'm going to write. Mm -hmm. That's it. I think if if you get too far ahead, it becomes overwhelming, and I think that's the trap. I think sometimes people, you end up freaking yourself out, and you you the stages of development become so overwhelming that you freeze, and you it, it seems like no way I could do that, and so you don't do it. But what I found is that if you just take one step, one step, or you fulfill one thing, if you write, if tonight you just feel like you write a paragraph, or if you open it up and you don't want to write, it's okay. But if you just keep that forward momentum, it's as though, and I believe in this, it's like providence steps in and it provides the people, the places, and the opportunities for this journey to continue. When you're doing something that ultimately will make a difference and if you're sharing your greater gift with the world, your community, your family, whatever that is, it's a message that's needed. See, my thing is everybody has a story. And I think what happens to people is they start to think, well, why would anybody be interested in my story? But every celebrity and every politician and everybody who is a figure, a world figure, at one point or another was not a world figure. They were just like you and me. Right. Right? So why should their story be any more powerful than ours? That's it, not the way it works. But if you don't put out your message, how are you going to know? How are the people that need to hear that message going to have a chance to respond you're denying them the ability to to learn something from you in your journey yeah and so i think that's the most important thing we have as human beings is is to answer that call you don't have to know how you're going to get there but if you just recognize and own it i think once you take ownership of that gift and that purpose that you serve everything else just sort of just shows up when it needs to yeah i certainly agree with that Definitely ownership is so important. You, throughout the course of your life, have done things that I think a lot of people would consider to be wildly uncomfortable and scary, like moving to a new place, <laughs> right? And yeah. Dropping everything, and going into the unknown, and then you did it again yeah. when you moved back to New York uh, a little bit later in life mm -hmm. and took the sabbatical and tried it again. Mm -hmm. And now here we are. You just started chipping away at it. And you sort of answered it by saying, you just got to start doing it. Yes. And that's such... It's such stupid advice, you know, it's just do it. Yeah. But. So true. But that's just what it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how is that any different than somebody saying, oh, I need to lose some weight? Well, what do you do? You, you, you start with maybe I need to incorporate some exercise. And don't go to the gym and, and crush it in one day and think it's going to be done. No, you just hop on the treadmill. You might walk for 10 minutes. Or, right. You know, the, the point is, it's, it's the regularity of small things that create great strides, right? You're never going to go from point A to point Z in one swell foot. It's not going to happen. And I think that's the conditioning process. And I think that's that's the best part is feeling that 
you know, even if you have a day job or you're doing something else that pays the bills, but maybe that doesn't quite serve that, that fire within you, serve your need to pay your bills, of course. But if it's important enough to you, you'll find half an hour at night before you go to bed or 10 minutes or whatever it is to work on that thing that really speaks to your soul. And I think like any muscle, as you continue to to do that thing, it develops and develops and it gets stronger. And if that's the case of your confidence, that gets stronger and stronger. I, I once heard something, and, and hopefully it doesn't sound kind of like, you know, ethereal, but the, the, the point was the greatest resources on, in the ground, it's not oil, water, and gold, and all that stuff. It is the dreams of, of people that they never took action. Mm. They died with their Ooh. dreams. Yeah. Right, so <laughs> I appreciate and, I, that. and when I heard that, that shunned me because yeah. I and, and the, the the point was, the cure to cancer could be in the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, the next Bo, uh, uh, Beethoven or Mozart could be in the ground. Like all these things, that gifts that they've been given, could be they took with them just because they didn't give themselves the ability to believe or just trust that that voice within is real. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing: I think we have a tendency to want to. When we, we have a, 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 a purpose or a calling, the first thing we do, we want to reach out and, and verify it with other people. Well, excuse me, but how do they know what speaks to you? Mm. Nobody knows. It's a private conversation. And sometimes you just have to do it. And people are like, oh, that's what you meant? Who is this guy? Where did he come from? Well, I've been, I've been here. It just took me a while you know, for you to recognize who I am and what I'm doing. And so um, I think the thing for me was, you know, I, I started that journey again at 38. So I'm like, 38? Are you crazy? What are you doing? You know, those voices again, right? Right. But I said to myself, yeah, this was meant to be my journey. I wasn't supposed to continue on in my 20s. I was supposed to do the things I've done. Raise a daughter. Live. You know, get divorced. I mean, get married. Sorry. Get divorced. Have a business. Sell a business. Successful. Not successful. Have money. Lose money. All these things that have given me this foundation now to, this is my reservoir. This is where I'll be pulling from to share whatever stories I choose to share with the world. Um, and the thing about black is now it's, it's, it's spanning out in different areas because one of the things I will also be doing is, is reformatting the show where I can take this in maybe an hour segment and, and go into corporations and mm-hmm. speak. On, on some of the elements that the show talks about and in schools and other areas because what I didn't realize about the show, I thought it was just going to be a, 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 a show about four people from the black community and their experiences. What other people are telling me is, no, it talks about unity because within those characters that I saw tonight, I saw myself. Wow. So somebody from an entirely different background, different, you know, different upbringing, still saw what a part of themselves in his character, despite the fact that he might have been from Jamaica, because he's a father, right? And because the other guy is a musician. Uh, and, and so you, as human beings, we, we, do, we do connect. I just think sometimes we, we have a tendency to look at the exterior and immediately look at visual differences rather than social connectedness. And, and that's something that came out to show that I was not aware of. And so now I realize this is another aspect that I'm going to serve. And so that's another thing that I'll be work, working on and developing in the coming year is, is taking this message into as many different areas as possible in conjunction with performing the full show. Right. 
Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, call it serendipity <laughs> or just pure coincidence, right? Who knows? Yeah, that I mean. You did not have any intention. None. Of tackling one of the, for whatever reason, one of the most challenging issues of our time. Right. Right. And how, how um, as you say, uh, serendipity, how amazing that it seems to have developed now with all that's going on, you know, all the, the, uh, the tension that exists, you right. know. So um, if, if I can share this story and these perspectives and it, and it creates a conversation, it creates um, an ability for people to talk about their differences or things that they're uncomfortable with or just things they don't know, then that's a blessing. That's where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, right. It's either serendipity or a horrible, horrible, horrible thing that's happened because now you're having to talk about right. sort of this <laughs> whole thing on top of it. But in essence, your your message is exactly the same. Yes. You're just able to hopefully have a maybe a far greater impact than you ever imagined. Absolutely right. So um, yeah, I, one of the things, I, I watched a couple of the interviews that, that are, are on your Facebook page and you already mentioned it in our conversation today, the idea of unity. Yes. Um, and if you pay attention to things like Twitter, um, I think that you would think that there are legitimate, horrible race problems in the United States of America. And all that I have control over and in doing the podcast that we've been doing over the past year or so, one of the biggest themes is that, you know, if you want to change the world, you just need to start with the people that are in your community. You want to be a kind person, be kind to the people that you have, that you have direct contact with. Absolutely. And if everybody did that, then it'd be a great place, right? That's it. But again, the Twitter sphere, Twitter sphere or media is telling me that, 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 that we live in a horribly divided country. Do you have thoughts on that? I do. Um, I have, I have a, a, a personal, um, my, my personal thoughts that I, I protect what goes in my mind and my head. I, I don't watch a lot of news. I don't. Um, my main source of, of, of news actually comes from PBS, you know, or, or NPR, you know, uh, when I'm driving, etc. The media today and what goes on, I think, has become very, very laced in shock value. And unfortunately, you're not going to get a lot of good, like, heartwarming news. Like, oh, somebody rescued your cat today. Like, you're not going to hear that, right? Occasionally, it'll, no. be, a, it'll be a lost somebody segment. Somebody murdered a cat right? today. Yeah, but exactly. But you're not going to hear that. And, and, and my point here is that as I've been traveling, you know, these seven or eight cities so far this year, I can tell you that majority of the audiences that have come to see my show have not been black. In fact, the majority have been white. It's kind of interesting. And I think people have come in with some trepidation because the show black, it, it sort of cast this connotation of, oh, is it just going to be an angry black rant? I mean, what's, what's you know, they're going to be saying how bad white people are, etc. Right. And that people <laughs> are just absolutely blown away because the message is what you said. It's unity and it's about you know, four characters that are talking about their lives, but how that really, that's not any different than other people. And and so, again, that that was the positive thing. And to, to your point, because I've actually been traveling alone, going to these cities where I really haven't known anybody and performing, you know, you know, a succession of shows, and 
at the end of every show, I go out and I meet everybody and thank them for coming and speak to them. I can tell you, George, that from my personal experience, that there's a lot more love and support and unity in this country than what you'll see on TV. I don't believe that that's an accurate representation of what's going on. Now, have I been to every corner of the U.S. so far? No. And are there going to be places where maybe I would be less receptive, you know, people would be less receptive of me in my show? Possibly. But that's true in anywhere you go. Yeah. So I can tell you that my traveling and what I've experienced, if anything, it inspires me as to what the human spirit is capable of, what this country is capable of, what this country represents at its core. Because I do believe that people are good people at their core. And I think what happens is you have a, a misunderstanding or an interpretation of somebody that's different from you. And depending on where you get your news source from, that can inflate that and it can create a perspective that's not real. But if you can get these people to do what you said, to, to at least have a conversation, you know, there are questions that I'm sure a person who's not white or who's not black would want to watch somebody who's black or of color. A lot of times they just don't know how to bring about that conversation because they don't want to be seen as being racist. Right. So they don't say anything. Right. On the contrary, if you give people a platform to say, it's okay to ask me about, you know, I was born in Morocco, what, what kind of food do I eat, so on and so forth. Sure. It's okay to have those conversations. All of a sudden this it demystifies what, what people's thoughts are. It's like, oh, well, that's not what I thought. Yeah. You know? And so in order for that to work, people just have to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. They don't have to have a, a large conversation online. I think sometimes online conversations can be, can be counterproductive because people can be faceless and they can say things without actually taking personal accountability for it. It's those one-on-one -on -one conversations, face-to-face, -face, like you and I sitting down here. Those are powerful because you're really connecting with a real human being. Mm -hmm. And to the point of the show, we are more alike than the world would have us believe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I certainly agree. Um, interestingly, well, right now we have everything that's been going on with Harvey Weinstein mm -hmm. and, and, and all the sexual assaults that have been coming out. So... There are a lot of things in the country that, that we never used to talk about, right? right? It's like you go to a cocktail party or dinner party, you're not supposed to talk about religion or politics, right? Right. right. But we certainly are not shy about talking politics anymore. No. Right? Yeah. In fact, that's that's gone crazy and now we're, 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 we're in tribes and everyone hates one another. Right. Um, and it used to be that we certainly wouldn't talk about sex, right. I think. And now the stuff that's going on with sexual um, assault and harassment everything else, now people are really having conversations about sex and I think that the work that you're doing um, and certainly moving forward and going into schools and companies what a great opportunity to I hate to use the term a safe space but to provide people an opportunity that they're comfortable to ask questions Absolutely. Just, just, just like you've been describing yeah uh, because having conversations does and is of great value yeah I mean the whole idea of the show here is awareness and then action but talking is in action. Absolutely. You and I can get to know one another and I can realize, okay, Michael's a regular dude, he's, you know, <laughs> or, or whatever it might be. Um, and I could tell you just personally that talking to my wife about all of the sexual harassment and assault stuff that's been going on, I'm, it helped me to better understand how she's felt over her professional career, right. just being a woman. Right. And also, we have a, a baby, and I'll take our baby on long walks, 
and I'll walk anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. But she's like, I would never have walked where you walked wow. just because, you know, I'm a, 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 a guy and I'm, I'm, you know, six foot tall, whatever. Right. And she's not. Right. So she wouldn't be comfortable. Right. And maybe it's ignorant on my part, but, you know, we're all wrapped up in our, you know, in, in the things that we're focused on. But it certainly helped me just the stuff going on in the world yeah. to, uh, to to look deeper on an important yeah. issue. So. Yeah. And I think that's a great point, George, that, you know, we do, we live in our own skin and we live in our own lives and, and call it a bubble or however you want to phrase it. But, you know, if you are not, how are you supposed to know what somebody else's experience is unless somehow you've had the opportunity to share in that experience? And if that experience is just by them sharing their story with you, how else are you going to know? Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I think we have to give each other permission to have those difficult conversations, recognizing that it doesn't have to be a conversation that has, in my opinion, has to have a certain result. The show is not designed to have a conclusion. Mm. The show is designed to reveal aspects of people from the black community and, and let the audience summarize it for themselves. One person might say, gosh, I never really, I never knew that. Or, wow, that makes sense, why X, Y, Z. I think there's a tendency to feel that one person has to be right and one person has to be wrong. I think we need to get to a place where we can coexist with, with our differences. And so one person may have one political view and another person may have another political view. But why is it that we're not able to coexist while respecting the differences in, I mean, isn't that, what if we were all the same? That would be boring. Super right? boring. Boring. So what makes us interesting as human beings is that we all have different experiences. So I think, to me, there has to be some allowances for recognizing and respecting those differences without me trying to change you and you trying to change me. But if your revelation, to me, causes me to reflect upon my own viewpoints, which may have been skewed, then I, by my own definition, will say, gosh, I might need to rethink that. Right, thanks, George. I'm glad that we had that conversation. Mm -hmm. That's a personal choice. But whenever you force somebody to do something, they're never going to do it, and they're not doing it for the right reasons. Right. So if we can just be okay having those, those conversations and the dialogue and not being so PC or sensitive, I think that's the beginning of growth. And just recognizing that some people are going to be different, and that's okay. Right. Yeah. We need to celebrate it as a matter of yeah. fact. So, nice, okay. So, how do you go about evaluating markets and places to potentially do your show? Is it, I'd like to go all over the United States? Is it, there's certain markets that I'd like to go into? That's a good question. Um, some of it's just places that I think they have a thriving theater scene. I think that has to be that has to be paramount at this point. Places that um, support the arts, that's huge, because if I'm going to a city as an unknown entity, um, and this city doesn't have much of an art scene or they don't have much of a, an audience for theater, then no one, not very many people are gonna see the show. Right. So my goal at this point is to try to maximize the exposure of the show. So I wanna to go to the, the cities and places that seem to have very, very active and, and very healthy theatrical you know, markets. 
And so for me, that's my primary right now. And I believe that that as I continue to go to these cities and and meet different people, um, that it will eventually become a momentum. The momentum's already in place, but I believe that the more I continue to do it, like I said, it's like a muscle, and the more you exercise, your muscles get stronger. The more I continue to perform the show, and the more people that see the show, I believe the more of a momentum gets created. And then eventually, if there are smaller pockets that are outlying areas, I'll hit those places. Quite frankly, I'll go anywhere. Um, and this, to me, I'm at the very beginning of this journey with this show. Mm-hmm. I've already started working on another show. I'm in my first draft of, a, of another show, uh, a different concept. Um, but even uh, even in time, if I continue doing that show, black will always be something that I'll be doing because I think the message is too important. This is not something that you just pop up and then, oh, I did it for like six months and I'm good. To me, it, this message, unfortunately, will never get old. So so I see and hope that there's years. Not for years, a long time, probably. Not for a long time. So I hope that there's at least a few years ahead of me of, of doing it to the point where it once it becomes a really well-known show and, it, and people know what it is, um, then maybe at that point I'll do something different. But um, I also see the opportunity to do... Um, you know, a special on it. You know, so a few people have seen it and said, gosh, I could see that being a Netflix special or an HBO special. That's something I love to do because now that gives me an opportunity to have the show seen by a complete different audience as well. So, again, my goal for the show is to go as, for as many people to see it as possible. And, you know, doing it as a, a, you know, in venues to me is the greatest way for me to connect with the audience. Moving forward also, I'd like to do talk bands. And I haven't done that yet, but that's something I'd like to do. So a talk back is I perform the show, and then afterwards, uh, if uh, members of the audience want to meet me, the artist, I'll come back out and then address and answer any questions they may have had on the show, the that's characters, cool. things I said. That's essentially it's what I've been doing, you know, in terms of just meeting people and greeting them, you know, individually. But it'd be nice to do it in a, especially when it's fresh, right after the performance people can just stay for an extra 15 20 minutes and ask me any questions they have you know yeah. similar to what we're talking about today i'm sure people would love that too i think so i think so i'm sure that they would yeah i i think people's appetite and i don't know really much about the theater scene but uh just from paying attention to to podcasting people are doing a lot of live yeah type shows and a big element of that is question and answer yes. and i know that people really enjoy and appreciate yeah. that yeah especially for this subject matter, um, what better opportunity? I agree. To have people feel comfortable asking questions and start asking questions yeah. than to be able to actually ask you. Yeah, and and that's the purpose. And, and what a great way for me to do it instead of doing it individually with people for a few minutes here and there, just to have you know 15, 20 minutes uh, where everybody's in the theater together and we're just talking among amongst ourselves. And it'd be great to hear other people's. I, I got that from a reading I did very early on, and it was very powerful. And I said, you know, that's something I need to continue doing. So now I'm at this point where I'm much more targeted with where I'm going and what I'm doing. That will be a component of at least one performance where I'll do a talk back. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I definitely appreciate your time, and it's been fun. Thank you Number for one, having you, me. I appreciate it. I haven't taken too much of your time. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else would you like to get off your chest, and where can people learn about you and find you? Um, so you can... Uh, See my, uh, I have a website, it's michaelwashingtonbrown.com. I am also on Facebook at michaelwashingtonbrown um, backslash actor. And um, Instagram, michaelwashingtonbrown. Um, sorry, michaelwashingtonbrown. Um, you know, 
I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be in this place where I feel like I'm really living my truth and I'm serving my purpose. And um, it's a journey. And I'm excited for where this journey is taking me and the people that it's going to allow me to meet. This would not have been possible today had I not done the show, right? So every little facet is really just, it's, it just, it tickles me. I'm just so grateful. Um, and I think the greatest thing that I can share, you know, in, in, in closing is that I really do believe that every single body has whether you're good at making money or good at school teaching, whatever it is, and maybe your purpose of what you're doing, you're already serving it. That's wonderful. But if you're not, if everybody's really honest with themselves, there's something that they, you know, that speaks to them. And, you know, maybe it was they wanted to be a professional athlete, and maybe that's not possible now. But you can't tell me that there's some other aspect or way you could still serve that yearning within the sports field. There's something, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's so amazing to me. I've learned, seen this too. 99 people could tell you something you did was amazing and one person says it was crap and all you focus on is the one. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Why is that, right? So let's not be that one for ourselves. There's enough people to tell us what we're not doing right. I like that. Why don't we just do what we know is right for us right. and trust that our tribe will find us. And that's what I'm doing. That's awesome. Looking for my tribe. Excellent. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. it. Thank you. Um, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show. Feel free to share us on social media. Check out Michael's stuff. Um, and definitely find one of his shows in 2018. So, um, And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.